Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm producer Ruth Brown. Today, I'm joined by Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press to discuss her story published Sunday regarding the education proposition that's set to be on the November ballot. Thanks for joining me, Betsy. Glad to be here. Betsy, this started when there were claims that the Quality Education Act, set to be Prop 1, would actually raise taxes to $570 million. Now there's a dispute. Can you walk me through how we got here? And that claim, of course, comes from the Idaho Freedom Foundation. And interestingly, the, the initiative itself and the analysis of it by the State Division of Financial Management says it would raise taxes by $323 million. And it would do so by increasing the corporate income tax rate, back, restoring it to back where it was for many years before the most recent cuts, and also creating a new marginal top tax rate for the highest individual income tax earners. Um, just on the amount that they earn over threshold amounts. And those threshold amounts are $250,000 for a, an individual or $500,000 for a married couple filing jointly. So anything they made over that amount would be at this new higher, close to 10% rate. Um, but the anything below that amount would still be at the existing rates. So in mid-July, the Tax Foundation published an article about Idaho's initiative suggesting that it was riddled with errors, with drafting errors, and would actually do all these terrible things, including have, have a reverse inflation factor that would raise rather than uh, lower the taxes on each bracket as inflation goes up, and, and also that it would, in addition to creating the new top marginal rates, that it would reverse last year's income tax cuts and basically the ones from the year before as well. And I was on vacation in Oregon when that came out. Um, and the Freedom Foundation seized upon it and said, we calculate that the initiative is actually gonna raise 570 million in taxes rather than 323 million and it'll raise taxes on everyone, even you know lower income earners. And isn't that terrible? Um, and, and that got a lot of attention and I, was far away and didn't know what to think. And so when I got back, I started looking into it because I found that a little bit surprising and I wanted to know more. Um, and what I found was that the Tax Foundation's assumptions about how Idaho initiatives are drafted and constructed and how Idaho's legislative process works, what Idaho um, state law and the constitution require and what Idaho Supreme Court decisions require didn't really line up with the way that initiatives work in Idaho. And I did not reach this conclusion on my own. I interviewed experts. Um, and one of the top experts was the guy who actually drafted this initiative, Mike Nugent. He was the legislature's chief bill drafter for 26 years. He worked for the legislature for 41 years. He is 100% nonpartisan. And he drafts bills for whoever asks him to do it. He's even done that since he retired. Most recently, he um, drafted a bill for at the request of Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan and Representatives Judy Boyle and Julianne Young regarding coronavirus immunity that was considered during the 2020 special legislative session. And there were three other bills on that same topic that were proposed that session, but it was the one that he drafted that ended up passing. He's pretty good at this stuff. He's kind of been the recognized authority on this for many, many, many years, but he retired in 2018. And so at the group's request, he had drafted this 
initiative for Reclaim Idaho. And he explained to me why the fact that the previous version of Idaho state law with all of our income tax brackets as it existed when they first started drafting the initiative was included in the initiative's language because it's required to be. We have something called an amendatory act in our Idaho state constitution that says you've got to put the whole section of law in there and they got to read it out. That's why the legislators are always asking to waive the requirement to read bills at full. So that was all required to be put in there. They couldn't wait to see if it changed. <laughs> they had to go with what it said then, but they had to indicate what they were changing with underlines for new language and strikeouts um, for what they were taking out. And those clearly show that all they're changing is the new top bracket. So then there was this question of a reverse inflation factor, which sounds really strange. I mean, who would want that? We have It's very complicated, but we have an inflation factor in our existing law for all our tax brackets. And each year, the state tax commission calculates how much inflation has gone up based on the CPI and adjusts the tax brackets so that inflation alone won't cause you to see a tax increase. You'll still fall into the same bracket. And Idaho for initiatives has what's called a certificate of review process, where every proposed initiative gets a, a thorough review by the Idaho Attorney General's office. And in the 11-page certificate of review that was that was compiled by the Attorney General's office for this initiative, there was a section that recommended changes um, for a completely unrelated issue, including some new wording. And in that suggested new wording, it inadvertently reversed the numerator and the denominator for the inflation factor. Um, so the Idaho Attorney General's office was asked by the Secretary of State's office after the Tax Foundation article came out, gee, is there any truth to this Tax Foundation article? And Chief Deputy Attorney General Brian Kane sent an email to Chad Houck, the Chief Deputy Secretary of State, um, in which he reviewed the initiative and it sounded like he agreed with the article. And one of the things he said was, somehow this numerator and denominator have gotten reversed. That's not how they were when the initiative was first submitted. Well, later upon review, um, and I, I did contact Brian and go over this with him at length, and, and he sent me a, an emailed statement responding to all my questions. And he said, it was our mistake. That change in the inflation factor originated in the attorney general's office during the certificate of review. Well, if that's the case in Idaho, if there's a typographical error that does not match the stated intent of the legislation, including the fiscal note that was done by the state, the, the statement of legislative intent that's in there, there are multiple mechanisms to correct things those types of things. And, and Mike Nugent told me about those. There is the state code commission, there's the annual codifiers correction bill, and also there can be action by the legislature. But because of a typographical error, that does not mean that the entire purpose of a bill changes. That's generally just not how it works in Idaho. So the fears that uh, all of the income tax reduction in 2022 are largely unfounded, would you say? I think so. That was certainly my conclusion from everyone I talked with. Um, there were also some concerns raised by the found, by the tax foundation about why the new um, 
top marginal bracket would use a 2024 base year for its inflation factor going forward rather than 1998, which was what's used for the existing brackets in the law. And the initiative sponsors said that was intentional. They want to use 2024. They want to make this new bracket 250,000 people who are earning 250,000 or 500,000 or more as of now, not as of 1998. <laughs> so I, it appeared to me that that was intentional. And um, I think that that these are complicated matters and certainly people can disagree on them. Um, but whether they were fatal flaws in drafting that riddled it with errors and made it do the opposite of what it wanted to do, no, that was not the conclusion I reached. That was not the conclusion of any expert that I talked to about this. And I know that the author of the Tax Foundation article still maintains that he has concerns about this, despite the information that I brought out in my article, and he is certainly free to disagree. Um, but I do stand by my story. Hypothetically, if the Quality Education Act passes, where does it go from here? How does, um, how does this move forward? Do you anticipate it going to court or the legislature? Well, initiatives, when they pass, when they're approved by voters in Idaho, have exactly the same standing as a law passed by the legislature. So what that means is they could be challenged in court, just like a law that was passed by the legislature could be challenged in court for, you know, being unconstitutional or somehow, you know, in conflict with other laws, or they could be amended. They could even be repealed. The legislature can make changes to or repeal legislation that's passed by initiative. And we have precedent in Idaho for that having happened with regard to a term limits initiative that was passed by the voters and the legislature repealed it. That is how it works. Now, politically, that is a pretty unpopular thing to do if a uh, if the voters enacted an initiative for the legislature to turn around and repeal it. What we saw most recently, for example, with the 2018 Medicaid expansion initiative was that the legislature considered making substantial changes to that initiative, and they did end up making some changes, but they did not repeal it, and they did not reverse its overall thrust. Medicaid, in fact, did get expanded. Have we heard from legislators about their willingness to accept this initiative if it does pass? Um, we'll have at least one new education chair, maybe more, depending on who takes over as speaker. Yeah, what have you heard from legislators regarding this initiative? Well, that's a good question. And I would say I have not gone out and interviewed all the new members of the Idaho legislature who will take office in January as to what they think about the initiative, which hasn't yet passed and will be on the November ballot, the same uh, November ballot on which those legislators will or won't be voted into the legislature. But when the legislature convenes in January, half or more of the members will be different from those who were there just this very last session. We're seeing huge turnover in the legislature. So who knows what they will want to do on this or any other topic. I think that, that there's a lot that remains to be seen about the character of the legislature going forward and what it will choose to focus upon in its initial session. Well, looking back to the legislators, uh, legislature's current members, there's been discussion of a possible special session uh, being called on taxes. Um, is there any indication on how um, this might affect that debate? So this is something I have been thinking about. Um, Governor Brad Little has been hinting that he may well call a special session soon on two things, education investments, and tax relief 
because of the current level of inflation that we're seeing. And I know that there have been talks with legislators and under our Idaho constitution and the way the law stands, only the governor can call a special session. And he has made it clear that he won't do so unless he reaches agreement with legislators on what it is they're going to do. Um, and I think that if we do see a special session on education and taxes, it could have some bearing on what happens with this initiative. And it reminds me very much of the year 2006 when Jim Risch was the governor of Idaho um, for a brief tenure. And there was an initiative on the ballot. I believe it was sponsored by the Idaho Education Association, and it was very popular. It would have raised Idaho's sales tax from 5% to 6% to increase funding for schools. And the polls were suggesting that initiative was going to pass. Well, in August of that year, Governor Risch called a special session of the legislature. And what did he do? He raised the sales tax from 5% to 6%, but not to fund schools, to fund property tax relief. And separately, he created a fund to help the schools through the change as their property tax funding was cut. That led to the situation we now see today with many, many supplemental levies and a very different picture of school funding in Idaho. But the other thing it did was it took the wind out of the sails of that very popular initiative to raise the sales tax to 6% to improve school funding because the sales tax had already been raised to 6%. And when it came up in November, it failed. It got 45% support. I'm tell. Until then, for more information on the ballot initiative, follow Betsy Russell at the Idaho Press or the Idaho Reports blog. And thanks for listening. We'll see you here next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television, and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marcia Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.